guys. Welcome back to Into the Light, a different life story, my show on uh, YouTube and as a podcast with me, your host, Stefan Neff. Another fantastic day for an interview. And today I've got Diane Simboro with me. Diane is a woman who is helping victims of family violence for the last 10 years. And prior to that, she unfortunately lived a life where family violence equally affected her. And I'm so honored to have her on the show because this topic is so big out there. There is such a nasty undercurrent in our society. And when I say our, Diane is beaming in from Australia, I'm New Zealand. But this could be a discussion that is being held in the UK, in Germany, in the United States and Canada, the Western world. There are variations of the theme as far as Asia is concerned, or as far as the Islamic countries are concerned. Um, but I mean, that is not something that we can discuss in detail today. But what we what we are discussing is the, the I guess, the Australian and the New Zealand perspective, which is pretty much reflective of the first world, unfortunately. So I'm so honored and, and humbled that you're on my show. Welcome. Thank you for coming, Diane. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really pleased to be here. Mm. <laughs> and it is it is such a needed thing, especially now in the times of lockdowns. Uh, we as we as we are here, we've just finished the first week of a quite a uh, quite a severe lockdown because we got penetrated our country, our defenses with COVID. And inevitably, that will put a lot of strain on many family relationships, because suddenly money is no longer coming in, suddenly people are sitting on top of each other, that normally we're not exposed to each other as much. Uh, suddenly there might be drug withdrawals, where people can't get access to their dealers. And you can imagine many, many, many reasons that will lead to extreme levels of not so nice things happening in families. So this is the perfect time that we touch upon this, this taboo, shall I yeah. say, this, yeah. this, this shame and guilt-ridden secret that is, however, so common out there. It's yeah. shocking. Do you know figures of, of Australia? Is there, is there anything that comes to your mind if you say how many families are actually affected by family violence? Uh, the the comment the current statistics are one in three women um, are affected by family violence. So um, if you take that into the proportion of the the population, it's a lot of people, one oh, in every three. Right. And um, that could be uh, in some families there are more than one woman. Like uh, uh, there's older girls and things like yeah. that. So. If you're talking about a family, it could be one family with five girls that are all affected by family violence or another family that's not affected but knows other people who are. So I think there's um, I, this is a, a topic that impacts everybody. If it doesn't impact you directly, it impacts you indirectly through the people that you work with, um, through uh, neighbours, um, Neighbours, what's happening behind closed doors that you don't know? They might look good in public, but they're not in private. <laughs> There's so many things, so many areas. And the schools, schools, it affects the schools because it's, it, it, it affects children's behaviours, you know. So, so many areas of society 
that no one can say, oh, it doesn't affect me, therefore I, I'm not really interested, you know. It just so true. affects everyone, yeah. Couldn't mm. agree more. Do yeah. you think the, the problem has gotten worse over the recent decades? Or is should we not with Me Too and other movements, should we not have a more transparent society where uh, essentially people are more willing to speak out? I think we have got a more transparent society and that's why we're hearing more and more about it because I know that uh, when I was younger, um, uh, I found out that there was uh, one of our neighbours who I just thought was a really wonderful woman was being beaten on a regular basis and there was no police support. It was considered you didn't have an escape from uh, a marriage because uh, women just didn't have an escape. They didn't have an option. Uh, these days they do. So there was a lot of stuff that was kept hidden and it was considered um, if police ever bothered to show up, it was a domestic and they would just walk away. They thought that was uh, the responsibility of the family. They didn't interfere with it. So I actually think I don't know that it's increased. I think it's increased in awareness, but I, I, I can't say that today it's worse than it was before because I think the treatment of women in the past uh, was horrific in some circumstances and completely ignored, you know. So at least now we're talking about it, at least now we're exposing it, at least now we are doing something about it. So, um, but I don't know the statistics because I don't think those statistics were ever kept. Mm, absolutely. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. But mm. it's shocking how many people I interview who actually tell me of a horrific childhood, of a yes. horrific time, um, yes. often guests were uh, living on farms in more social isolation, and uh, these were houses of horror, yes. which are oh, awful, awful, awful stories there. And no one ever knew about it because uh, yeah. the victims kept quiet. There were no supports uh, available in, in the sense of women's refuge or, or the Salvation Army has been around for a long time, but mm. not when you're, loving, uh, when you're living somewhere in uh, rural Australia. I don't think that there is much there. There might mm. be the church and then the church might actually be part of the abuse and part of keeping you in the abusive relationship. And so I'm glad it, you bring that up. Yeah, I'm really glad you bring that up because uh, I found that um, uh, I'm not going to say I'm not going to say all it's like that. But in some communities, in some communities, like the same as um, a judge or a magistrate, a policeman, um, a religious leader, a lawyer, um, anybody in a, a position of authority or a position of influence their personal opinion about family violence impacts the way they deal with it. So whoever comes to them, mm -hmm. so if a religious leader has a personal opinion about what a woman should do and what her responsibilities are within a, within a married relationship, mm -hmm. he's going to give the advice that is pertinent to him, what he believes to be true. Now, it may be completely off track, mm -hmm. completely off track, but that's why I believe that we need to educate mm -hmm all of those people in positions of, of authority. I met a, 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 
a woman uh, from an Indian background, you know, I've met people from many different backgrounds. I've worked in multiculturalism for a very, very long time. And my own marriage was interracial and I've lived in many other countries around the world. So, so, um, but this lady, she was a leader in her society, a community leader. And uh, I went to a, um, a family violence event. Um, it was, and uh, they spoke about, a man in her community who had brutalized his wife. And then in, in the end, he killed her and committed suicide. And um, it was, you know, it's very, very clear that he was a, 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 an abuser and very clear that um, what, you know, what the outcome was, but uh, she defended him. She defended him. It shows that he's a good, this is the question. <laughs> it shows that he's a good person because he took his own life. And I thought, well, how does that show he's a good person? You know, is it okay to, to do the violence as long as he takes his own life and wipes out his wife as well, you know? So, and I looked at her and I listened to what she said. And I thought, if I am the next woman who comes to you with this problem, you're going to tell me, go back to your husband. He's a good man. And I was very, very deeply concerned about that woman. Mm. Deeply concerned. Problem, isn't it? Oh, it is. It is very much so. And, and you already have uh, therefore pointed towards this, this, uh, this multifactorial issue. Really, it's not yeah. really about about one man, one woman, and good or bad or right or wrong. It is about connection and about relationships it is about communication it is about the underlying things that go pear-shaped it is often about social background and with that the social background i mean exposure to to education and uh, finding ways of of problem solution finding ways of communicating that are not affected by alcohol and and by by you know negative emotions as such yeah, our society is unfortunately in 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 you know we are a whole range of people. So therefore, but I I, I want to be very careful here because what I was just saying, uh, socioeconomic uh, issues might play a role, might make that more common. I I say might because it transcends the whole stratas of society. Mm. Family violence is like addiction. It is. Yep. It can be judges. It can be policemen, lawyers, yep. Yep. religious leaders. Yeah. You know, if you actually look into your own practice and would do yep. a bit of an audit, <laughs> yeah, yep. would be interesting, wouldn't it? Uh, do yep. you keep figures? Do you do you and and have you have you looked at it from that angle? I I don't keep figures, but what I have found is that um, it really doesn't matter which uh, socioeconomic area you come from family violence is everywhere sometimes it's well hidden in um in areas where uh there's wealth and there's power because it's in their own interests to keep it hidden and if there's if there's um if there's wealth sometimes people will remain within the relationship because there's a level of comfort and a level of escape that they can make you know like uh, they don't suffer the same I shouldn't be saying that I, I can't say they don't suffer the same things mm. but that they suffer it in a different way correct they suffer correct. it in a different way and there's reasons why people will keep things secret 
at those levels, mm. but it's it's everywhere. I haven't, like some of the lawyers that I've dealt with, some of the judges that I've dealt with, some of the magistrates, some of the police that I've dealt with, mm. they have a real issue with family violence. And that unfortunately filters through and affects the women that I work with, you know. So I really believe that we need to educate people um, you know, uh, there are people in workplaces who will, if there's a, a problem employer employee, uh, you know, if if they they treat other people very badly or something mm. something like that. Sometimes people, um, the the bosses who who don't want to confront the situation actually um, give them a promotion to get them out of their area, <laughs> so pass on the problem to somewhere else. You know, instead of you can't sack people easily, right? You can't sack them, yeah, unless you have really good foundation. So sometimes those people are promoted upwards in order to get them out of your area and move them to somewhere else. So that gives them more power. So as I'm saying, like there's there needs to be an education um, about how to deal with how to first of all recognize what the signs and symptoms of an abuser are, and that it's serious. Even though it's it might seem minor, if you recognise the signs and symptoms of an abuser, mm. what form they take, and it's not uh, broken broken arms and and black eyes, it's not that. It is not that. It's much more subtle than that, you know. And um, if people can understand that, if they can recognise it, they can deal with it more um, head on, and actually do something about it. But I think a lot of people think that family violence or violence is um, broken limbs and black eyes. It's just not. It's not. You know, there's so much more behind the scenes. Hmm. That's why people don't know what's going on. <laughs> and we need to. And we need to talk about that because yes. it is. It is such an important, uh, important uh, point you are making. And mm. I, I have to cheat because uh, I. You gave me this beautiful, beautiful cue there yeah. uh, you you called your talk why it's easy to confuse new love and early stages of abuse mm. now when i saw that title i thought okay now that is interesting because whilst i thought i knew a lot about abuse that that title set me back a bit and i thought huh explore that with me uh, go with me. Why? Why do you think there's there's a similarity there? Uh, the the reality is there is a similarity because uh, the abusers, especially serial abusers, hmm. are very good at what they do. They've got strong people skills. Okay, and um, in the early stages of the relationship, their goal, their intention, is to secure the relationship. Oh. Okay. So the, per the let's uh, I'm going to say woman is the the person who's the victim and the man is the person who's the perpetrator just because I'm making it easier. Okay, I recognise that there there are victims in every gender and I recognise that, but I'm just going to do that for the sake of ease, if that's okay with your viewers. Okay, um, but the woman will um, the woman enters into a relationship and she thinks this is new love. This is new love. So she she is all of the things that you would be in a, in a new love relationship, which is you're you're trying to 
um, impress the other person. You're showing your best side to the other person. Um, you want to engage them. Um, you're excited to find out more about that person. Yeah. So you ask them questions, but her intention is, is this going to be a person that I can relate to? Is this person going to be a person that I can make a relationship with and a long-term relationship with? Now I'm talking about the, the serial abuser on the other side. He comes to the relationship and he's asking her questions. He's on his best behavior because if he's not on his best behavior, he won't secure the relationship, right? So he has to be on his best behavior. The questions that he's asking is to understand where has she come from? Is she going to make a good victim for me? Does she have all of the characteristics that I need in order to be able to take control of her? You know? What are her secrets? Has she just come from a, an abusive relationship? Is she wounded by that? What do I need to know about her and what affected her in order to make sure I don't do it? Got it? Yet. So he's a chameleon. Yet, yet, yet. Mm. yet. This is about securing the relationship. So this is about new love. It's not further down the track. This is about the new love, okay? The early stages of abuse and new love, all right? So that's the difference. The intention that both people come to the relationship with is very, very different, very different indeed. Isn't that? Yeah? Yes. Does that make sense? And and with that, you're already pointing out that many, many uh, abusers and perpetrators are actually masters of manipulation and yep. and masters of of lying and bending the mm. the thoughts of the other persons the beliefs of the other persons yep. and it is often such a strange thing when you when you see abuse becoming actually apparent when really when it comes to the broken bones and you think for crying out loud, why are you not leaving? Why are you not going? Actually, there is so much more to that question than just a straightforward answer. Um, it is, again, so many reasons. And I actually love the way that you're pointing towards the power that abusers often hold over a person, both on an emotional as well as financial and, and other, other often like a cage kind of being wrapped around, yeah. around these women or these yeah. men. Let's, let's, yeah. let's be clear about that. In a moment, yeah. we are using the women because ultimately that is the majority um, yeah. of, of victims as yeah. we know, but I yeah. certainly know that, that uh, every year about 5,000 men in Australia are raped and 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 suffer from from abuse in relationships so mm -hmm. let's we are very clear here it, it goes both ways but yeah. so guys don't don't write in ah you you <laughs> you know so no 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 let's stick with what is important not the semantics of it okay yeah yeah mm -hmm. cool um that's intriguing that's really intriguing because often you think about about uh, physical abuse and things like that in, in sort of stereotypical kind of ways. And that's not really true. If And if you now look at figures, if you look at personality disorders, narcissistic personality disorder, or things like that, they are huge out there. I mean, 10% of people have got a personality disorder. So that's one in 10. 
Now, and some of these these people cannot feel empathy. They, for them, they become master manipulators and do they do whatever they want to do, because mm. that is just how they are wired. That's how they are ticked. So you can mm. see that someone like that will become a master in portraying a beautiful thing to the outside. They might be really outspoken and gorgeous, leaders in their community, everything is hunky-dory. And then on the inside, oh my goodness, there is, uh, if you want to have religious words, there is a true demon uh, sitting sitting in, in, in those people. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, that is so, so brutal. <sighs> May I ask, you you have developed this this insight and this you're working with these people, but most of us, we have got our own stories that mm. lead us down this path. Are you happy to share a bit how you yeah, became an, an an expert <laughs> an expert? Yeah, for the lack of a better word, in in family violence. Mm, mm. Yeah, I um, I had a 27-year marriage. Uh, as I said, uh, my husband was African. Um, I started our married life in Africa, in a small country in West Africa, and um, where I couldn't speak the language, didn't understand the culture, stood out like a sore thumb. You know, I was the only white person in the neighbourhood, you know, and people used to be absolutely... Um, they were uh, intrigued by me, but um, I wasn't received with open arms, you know, because they felt uncomfortable to relate to a white person, you know, so mm -hmm. I found it very hard to integrate, you know. May um, I ask which country that was? That was in Burkina Faso. Mm -hmm. Have you ever heard of it? Oh, you have? Okay. I was, I was in Sierra <laughs> Leone and in Liberia for okay. a while. So, yeah. yes. Okay. Yeah, you know very well. How then. did you end up in, in Burkina Faso? Because I married an African. <laughs> oh, yeah. So that so the marriage came first, and then you went yeah. there. It was yeah. not that you that you wanted to explore Africa and found Mr. Wright there. No, funny enough, I, I had an absolute. Um, I've had a, a a love affair with Africa since I was a little kid. I've oh. been dreaming of Africa all of my life. So oh, for right. me. Um, I was going to Africa anyway, and I was going to travel there. I started out in Egypt, and and um, so I was, uh, and I wanted to head downwards, but um, I ended up going back overseas, and then coming back to Africa later on, and then exploring then. So um, yeah, <laughs> but uh, it's not surprising for me to be married to an African, not at all. <laughs> some yeah. some African countries have got very strong matriarchs, so where the women. Uh, are are the powerful people within the family? How is Burkina Faso? Uh, is is it is it more a male led society or more matriarchic? No, male, male. male. So, yeah, it's, it's uh, predominantly Muslim. Yeah, mm -hmm. and it's quite strong Muslim. Uh, mm -hmm. My husband's uh, family uh, were um, Wahhabi, which is the highest order of um, Islam. Yeah, but uh, in saying that. Um, uh, his, my husband's father, he, um, he converted to Wahhabi. So he went uh, from regular Islam to a higher level. So Wahhabi is like um, Osama bin Laden type, uh, mm. <laughs> that's mm. that type of thing. Anyway, um, his, uh, he had two wives, you know, there was polygamy within the, the Islam. Yeah. And um, 
his uh, my husband's mother she she was told that she had to wear a full uh, full covering you know mm-hmm. and um she had lived her life all the time with just a scarf you know and um so I fell in love with her when I found out that she said no nah, I'm not going to wear it <laughs> so, <laughs> so so in saying you know that the men dominate and control there's still very strong women within Africa and that must never be discounted. You know, like um, uh, a lot of people, same as a lot of men think Asian women are, are subservient, you know, and they're not strong. They're strong. These are powerful women and they exist all over the world. So never discount a woman, you know. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I've learned that lesson the hard way. <laughs> you should meet my wife. She is gorgeous. But <laughs> I need to be careful yeah. she will listen to that interview <laughs> <laughs> no she's oh, i'm joking around here and it is beautiful to see to see women um being being the gorgeous beings that they are and and finding a voice and and finding finding a sense of uh, fulfillment in the various mm-hmm. roles that women play uh, in mm-hmm. the world and multiple roles often at the same time um so it's 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 gorgeous and it's interesting so you were there in, in Burkina Faso and yeah. uh di- how long did you live there I was only there for 13 months yeah you know, okay. in the end because uh, we ended up coming home for uh, the birth of our first child and we mm-hmm. were just going to come home have the the birth, stay for a couple of years, earn some money, and then go back. Mm. But we never ended up going back. So, right. um, yeah. But I was lucky I came home because I was I got really sick uh, while I was there. I ended up coming home, and I didn't know I was actually ill when I came home. Not only was I fully pregnant, but I was quite ill. So um, if I hadn't come home, I wouldn't have come home, or I would have come home in a box, basically. Mm. So let me guess, so, malaria. Yeah, I uh, I think uh, I think it was malaria that uh, knocked me because um, I lost twelve kilos in eight days and I never regained those those I never regained that mm. and uh, we had a mirror had a mirror that it was about that big can you see my hand mm-hmm. mirror just enough yeah. for my eye to be seen that was it and um, it was during a time when I'd lost so much weight and my eyes apparently looked horrific but all I could see was this little. <laughs> This little oh. eye. I didn't. Oh. I didn't. Um, I didn't notice what I looked like. I just didn't see it, you know. But I, I was quite skeletal in the end. And as I had my pregnancy, um, as I had my pregnancy, uh, I never regained that weight. The baby took all of the nutrition, you know. Mm. And she was born healthy. I was very, very lucky. But I was very deeply concerned, you know, because I had four visits to the the free clinic while I was there. And um, uh, the fourth visit was a bonus, and that was, you know, so, um, and uh, the first day I went to the clinic, uh, I was already four months pregnant, you know, and um, uh, the first day I went to the clinic, uh, we were waiting outside for the clinic to open, and um, I heard this gut-wrenching cry and everybody suddenly became quiet and looked in the direction of the, the cry. And I saw a woman bending down with her baby, splashing a mud puddle into the baby's art, you know, face, trying to, to um, waken her child. And the baby had died in her arms because the free clinic had not opened in time. You know? And um, 
it was that day that I realized, you know, being a long way from home and being away from the level of healthcare that we enjoy in this country, mm -hmm. um, I was actually afraid. And I thought, is that going to happen to me? You know, is, is, is that going to be me one day? You know, so the, the struggles and the difficulties, same as, you know, the anti-vaxxers here in Australia <laughs> drive me nuts, you know. Over there, yeah, people would like they would lay down their lives for a vaccine, you know, to save lives, you know, because there's so many things that kill you, you know. So um, I don't have a lot of tolerance for that, you know, because of my life experience. <laughs> and plus, makes, I'm a nurse. Well. You're talking to a doctor. You're talking yeah, to a doctor. Exactly. You're a doctor and I'm a nurse. So yeah. No, see, yeah. I'm, I'm dangerous because I'm a doctor who loves history. Um, yeah. So I know what I'm talking about when I talk about the past or, I mean, we have forgotten these big wards with iron lungs in there due to polio. Yes. That, yes. Was, that was prior to the 50s. That is not yeah. so long ago. And now no. we've got people saying, oh, no, 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 that could be dangerous. I could have, I could have a side effect. And you just think you're kidding me. You have yeah. not seen polio. You have not seen no. um, diphtheria. You have not seen all the other diseases. And now we can add COVID to it. Yes. And so, yes, please, we are, we are both preaching to the converted. And if you guys are, li are li listening to or watching this here and mm -hmm. you have any concerns, please just just honestly talk to your doctor and mm -hmm. talk about talk to uh, talk about your concerns. Uh, if mm. you have concerns about vaccinations and mm. uh, please get a really informed view don't just mm. listen to a Karen down the road or on the more worse on the internet. Please not. Mm. Please not. You deserve better. You deserve more than just someone spouting off. So mm. my little rant here. And yeah, I think we're, we're, we're communal rant. Okay. But <laughs> you're, you're here for a different topic. So we should go yeah. back to that. Yeah. And, but it's, it's, it's important because yeah, it, you were there. You were truly in in the, not the heart of Africa. You were on on the right shoulder of, of Africa there, and mm. it is a very lonesome place to be for you as a woman being pregnant and realizing that. So I'm not surprised that you came home. Um, you were you able to find work, or how was the situation then when when your husband came to Australia? Did, yeah, did well, who was the breadwinner? I was the breadwinner. I was the breadwinner, but I was also the breadwinner in Africa because um, I, I started out life not as a nurse, but as a commercial artist, you know, so I used my art skills to create a small art business when I was in Africa and I created it from scratch. And um, I went door to door with two paintings that I made because I didn't know what people would like couldn't speak the language I just showed people the pictures <laughs> I was by myself by the way Stefan I was by myself <laughs> and I saw one picture and that was it but um, what I did was I got feedback from people about what they wanted mm -hmm. and then I created what they wanted mm -hmm. and so I created a good business and so I created a successful business in 12 months, people actually started coming to me rather than me going to them, you know, and um, I would work up to 20 hours a day um, doing these little cards, you know, the designs that I made. And my husband couldn't help me with that because he wasn't an artist and he'd just nick off. So I was the one who was doing all of that. And um, and uh, I remember all we had was uh, the luxury that I had 
was an electric fan. I insisted that we buy an electric fan. And sometimes it was 43 degrees night and day in the worst of the in the worst of the um, heat, you know, in the hot season. And um, so I had to work on these little cards and it was very, very hot. So I didn't want to melt. So what I used to do was get a T-shirt, dip it in a, a bowl of cold water, mm. put the T-shirt on and sit in front of the fan. And I would do that regularly during the day in order to, to keep my temperature down. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the way I, I created the business. But um, when we did come home, I was a nurse, but I was sick, as I said, I, I got mm. sick. So I was, um, but I was the breadwinner. So um, until he was able to get mm. um, a working visa until, yeah, because uh, the closest country to Burkina or the closest Australian embassy where we could get a, a visa for him was Nigeria, which is where we had to stop off on the way home right. in order to get him just a tourist visa alone, you know. So even while we were married, mm. it wasn't an easy pass. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Was at that time your relationship still strong? Or were there already <laughs> signs of it breaking? The 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 funny thing is, I'm one of those people who had to be told uh, that I was going through family violence. And there are many, many, many women out there who are going through the same thing. They think their husband is difficult person, <laughs> difficult in inverted commas, okay? But they, they just think that's marriage, you know? Like I had one marriage and one marriage only. And so I thought that's marriage, you know? And um, I also, I think uh, because we were interracial, um, I knew about his culture because I lived there and I knew what was regular behaviour, but his behaviour was not that, you know. And, um, and I think we, uh, I would forgive him for certain behaviours thinking, oh, it's our cultural differences. But I think you rationalise away very difficult behaviour mm. and you think... You know, someone told me, someone told me the first 10 years are the hardest. And I thought, when are the first 10 years going to finish? Or they just didn't finish. They just kept going, you know, and going and going. And we'd, we'd end up with arguments that I thought, where did that come from? I'm not an arguing person, you know, constant arguments. And I couldn't figure out what it was about, you know, um, throwing things, you know, like being a brute, you know, and um, there, there was, uh, I didn't get hit. But there certainly was sexual abuse because uh, a lot of women are afraid to speak about that. But there was sexual abuse, you know, like he, sexual violence rather, you know, and um, and uh, he towards me, not towards the children. But um, there's verbal, there's emotional, there's psychological. But I just thought he was a difficult person. So one day I found my. He also gambled. So one day I I got some free gam. I got some free counselling. And I found myself in front of a counsellor and she listened a little bit to my story and she gave me a list and she said, tick all the things on the list that apply to you. And I ticked loads of things mm. on the list. You know, mm. I found out all of the things that I had ticked were all symptoms of family violence, all of them. Yeah. Mm. And um, so she turned around and she said, what you're going through is family violence. And I was in a state of shock, you know, because my thinking was it's broken limbs and black eyes. Mm. I needed to rethink. I needed to think again, you know. When so, did that happen? How long were you in the relationship then? 
I was in the relationship for 20 years. Uh, uh, I'll say 19 years, mm. 19 years at that stage, because it was one year before I actually left the relationship that I discovered that. So it took me 12 months to actually set things up so that we could safely leave, so that I had things prepared, you know. Mm. Um, so, um, yeah, but we were separated under one roof, but then we separated completely when I had everything organised. Yeah. Mm. And you're a clever woman. You have got insight. Yeah. You probably could diagnose family violence in any one of your patients yeah. as a nurse. And that's right. So you have got this beautiful view towards everyone else. But the moment it comes to yourself, you can't see it. It's far yeah. too close, isn't it? Blind. You're blind to what's going on because yeah. you are in a married relationship. Like as soon as as soon as you attach love to your observational skills, <laughs> everything goes wet. And also living in a violent relationship, um, uh, you mentioned something before about why doesn't she leave, the common question, why doesn't she leave? You know, a lot of people ask that question. When you're in a violent relationship, the only two things that you have available to you are intuition and adrenaline. When you're going through violence, those two things are what, avail what is available to you. The brain actually shuts down. It shuts down. So you don't have logic, ration or reason available to you because you're in emergency mode. You have to make quick decisions. You can't logically, rationally and reasonably take time to make decisions if you want to survive. So... When a woman is going through violence or anybody going through violence, anybody, kids going through violence, you have those two, that adrenaline and the, the um, what did I say before? <laughs> I've gone blank. <laughs> no, no you're absolutely right. Because you're in this fight and flight mode. You're absolutely. You and you your, your conscious decision-making goes out of the window and you're, you're falling back to deep mammalian brain and reptilian brain kind okay. of stuff, uh, okay. truly, truly uh, responding rather than planning and yeah. acting according to, yeah. to more sensible principles. And mm -hmm. regrettably, that is, that is so common. That is so common yes. in people out there. That's where this kind of work-life balance comes in, because if you don't get that right, then you're falling onto that level and you only respond and you only uh, go nuts in, and that's just working life and, and stuff like that. Um, but regrettably, that of course flows, flows over into relationship problems. But yes. if the relationship problems are actually the key to the whole thing, well, that flows over into other parts of your life. Yeah. Were, were you a good nurse? Where yeah, you? <laughs> I was. I was told that. Like, like um, the only reason I'm saying I was is because I I received a lot of feedback, and mm. um, so I was very good. But yeah. in being caring, in being caring, you like to rescue people. I was about. That's where I wanted to go because that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. So something in you actually recognizes the need to be caring for others yeah. because you didn't get the care of of the of the, the the caring love that you want the deep deep for yourself is that yeah. fair to say yeah yeah also like um you know as a nurse 
I could go and be loving and caring and, and concerned and, and really look after someone and feel good about myself. Mm. And then I would come home mm. and that would give me the capacity to be able to deal with the different thing that was going mm. on at home. Mm. But once, once that ability to go to work and experience the true self, my true self, and be free to be myself, huh? once that's taken away, and this is what's happening to people in COVID at, at the moment, exactly. work is an escape, an right. escape from the reality of what's going on at home. You can ignore it for a period of time or you can overlook it for a period of time unless it's there in your face all day, every day, unless you don't have that outlet where you can be yourself, where you can feel confident, I'm still me. But if you're stuck at home and suddenly you're thinking, I've lost me, I'm not the same person in this relationship, where have I gone? You know, And that's a big thing in the recovery process. Women lose themselves. They just, they're lost, you know? Mm. Regrettably, I wonder sometimes where's the chicken and where is the egg? Because yeah. here you are in your 30s, 40s, you're putting in the extra hours in order to develop yourself, uh, become a good person for your standards, which typically means at work, you work, 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 and, and mm -hmm. you, you uh, it's, it's such a busy life that we take and then children come and then this comes and that comes. By the time you have blinked, you have forgotten who you truly are. And yeah. you have developed into this, this person who identifies yourself. Oh, I'm, I'm a really good nurse and mm. I love my job. Mm. Yet yeah, that's cool, forget the job. So who are you? Yeah. Well, I, I, I'm a really good nurse. And, yeah. there is, and there was for me as a doctor, it was exactly that. I had yeah. lost myself. I had no clue who I was, yeah. which yeah. is something positive if you look at it, because it gives you a blank canvas to paint upon. And so whilst I was an empty shell uh, of a man after rehab, I was over the next year or two, I was actually starting to, to redefine myself. Mm -hmm. And I had a vision of someone new and someone I could much more live with and love mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. than the man I was prior to rehab. And I guess that is that is out there. So many of us have lost ourselves. If there is yeah. that's such a common thing I hear, completely unrelated to family violence. Um, so, guys, I guess what I'm saying is you're already on a back foot. Um, if then fi yeah. family violence comes comes on top of that, you've got no chance. So it is it is hard. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so here you were. Um, 20 years into this marriage mm. and suddenly someone pulled actually the blinkers away from your face and you suddenly had the inside damn okay i live in a in an abusive relationship essentially mm. 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 how old was your daughter then my my two daughters yeah. were um uh, Sometimes I think my my memory is vague, you know. But I know that they were. Uh, I know that my eldest daughter was um, 
the year that we left, she was in her final year of VCA and the other one was mm. in year 10. Mm. So, um, like, the the separation happened. Mm. The 15, um, 17, thereabouts. Yeah, yeah. So um, that was their age. And um, how, did they, how did they respond to that? Because that's uh, often a huge concern for women that they think, yeah. oh, no, I, I just stay with him a little bit longer because of the children, because of, of um, I need to give them some kind of stable environment, uh, whatever f- ludicrous that statement is, because it's yeah. anything but stable often enough. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, one of the decision makers for me absolutely leaving was uh, that his his violence, like um, him throwing things past our head, it started to affect the children. So he would argue with the kids. He would argue with the kids all the time. Like it was, um, but um, and he would he would just really be dominating and domineering. Um, but. Uh, when he started throwing things just past their head, you know, and really being threatening, mm. it was that was like the final straw for me, you know. Mm. Like, um, and a lot of women out there, any anybody who's going through abuse, any anybody, mm. um, when you're going through it, it's it's like what happens to me is okay. It's what happens to other people that I care about. <laughs> so you you actually lose yourself. And I was I was uh, very disturbed to discover later on when I finally got my brain back and it started functioning properly that actually I had uh, discounted what was happening to me as long as the kids I thought the kids were okay. You, and isn't that sad that it has to happen to your children before it becomes something serious that you need to address. I just think that's sad, you know, that that um, that already I didn't have a good self-esteem uh. whereby I thought this is okay for me. You can treat me this way, but just don't treat my kids that way. You know, uh. I'll have you, your head for dinner type thing, you know. Uh. But um, isn't that sad, you know, that you, you diminish yourself so much within the relationship? And I think that is part of the process. I really do. Um, I've witnessed that in the other women that I work with. It's part of the process. But, um, yeah, I think that made me sad later on when I realised I had just thought so little of myself Mm. that I thought it was okay the way he treated me. Mm. Did Did you feel endangered when you made the decision to leave? Yes. Yeah. I, I actually, um, when uh, when uh, my daughter was tiny and uh, the first time I left him, I only left him twice. The first time I left him, um, I had a toddler and I was eight months pregnant with my second daughter. Mm-hmm. Yeah? And I left him because we felt unsafe and I took the kids and just left. And um, I only stayed away one day because he came and he, um, he found me because I went to my parents and he came and he... he took me aside in the room and said, um, uh, if you don't come back, I'm going to take uh, our eldest daughter, you know. And um, so I went back to him because I wanted to be able to keep my daughter, you know. And the look in his eyes made me understand that he was going to fulfil what he was threatening and um, I just didn't want to do that. So I went back. But um, that was the first time I left him because we felt unsafe. The second time... 
also because I was unsafe and um, because I could see this was never going to get better. I could hold on and I could, I could give, I could love, I could try and fix him, but he was never going to be fixed. This was, and uh, the, once you come to the awareness that you can't stay within the relationship because if you stay, he doesn't have any reason to change. There's no need for him to change because what he's doing is working. Huh? It's not working for you, but it's working for him. So until you leave the relationship, there is no need for him to change. No need. So that's why it's important to leave the relationship. And I encourage everybody to think that way. Uh, you, you know, If you still love that person, the only hope that you have is to provide him with an opportunity for change, opportunity in inverted commas, not a guarantee, an opportunity. And that's by leaving because the only person that he's then left with is the person he faces in the mirror. And only then can he recognize, hang on a minute, this isn't working for me anymore. Maybe I need to change something, you know? And you hope that they might want to change because they, they long for the relationship, but there's no guarantee. And it certainly didn't happen in my situation. And I've seen, I have not seen it happen. I've met one person, I think, uh, who actually made a go of it uh, when they got back together again. But there has to be an equal commitment to change, an equal commitment, and, um, and follow through on that, you know? Not just not just say, I'm sorry, come mm. back, you know, because mm. you hear that so often, you know, and they shed tears and, you know, I didn't mean to do it, you know, please come back. I really love you. Well, love is not practiced in that way. Love is not something that makes one person frightened and the other people all powerful, you know. It's it just, mm. that's not love. That is minus love, you know. Yeah. Without now coming up with excuses, but what do you think were the needs that he wanted to meet with his behavior? What did you give him? Was it a, was it a, a frustration of, of, uh, of sorts? Why did he behave the way he did behave? Did you ever try to understand that? Or did you come up with, with thoughts in your own relationship? Uh, that's all I tried to understand. Mm. Um, when I left the relationship, I invested in education for myself about understanding why do people do what they do? Because all I wanted to know was why? Why? That's all I wanted to know. And I thought once I know that, mm. um, and once I did discover some of the reasons why of this behaviour, but it is a choice. I have to come back to it's a choice. Huh? Yeah. But the, the reasons behind the behaviour are not because a person has to do this, but because a person chooses to do this because there are benefits to them. Mm. Now, those benefits may not, those benefits are for an individual, but they are not for the couple. Oh. Okay. So they're one sided benefits. But no one does anything that does not somehow benefit them. Mm. No one. I would be, we'd be crazy if we did stuff that didn't have some sort of benefit attached to it. Huh? So that's what I discovered is that um, you can make all sorts of excuses. I came from an abusive 
family, you know, um, all that. You, you can make all sorts of excuses. There is a, a pre a precondition there, you know. Um, I observed that my father was abusive towards my mother. Maybe that's the way. They not some people can normalize this is the way love is expressed, you know, because that's all they knew. But in reality, it doesn't take forever to discover that's not true. You may believe it for a period of time if that's all you know, if that's all you grew up with. But as you expand and grow out to the world and you meet different people, you discover no, that's not true. That is not true. That is not the way to love a person. That is not how love is practiced. And so then, then you become uh, confronted with the choice. How am I going to be in a relationship? You know, and if someone's really, really insecure and um, they need to dominate someone in order to feel good about themselves, then you've got a serial abuser. Then you've got a serial abuser. But the people who can... Just remember, um, there's a public face to abuse and there's a private face. Public face is he's a really good guy. He gets along with everyone. He's very generous. You know, he's really good at his job. And then there's the private face. He's a jerk, a total absolute jerk who makes his wife and his children afraid, you know. But the public face never gets confused with the private face. So do not ever, ever, ever get sucked into the belief you made me do it because if truly if truly there was no control the public face would get mixed up with a private face and it doesn't why doesn't it because they're choosing they're choosing their their behavior and i think you know like don't get sucked into um i made him do it no 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 it's got nothing to do with that it's, you know, if I can control myself in public, I can control myself in private. I just don't choose to because somewhere there's a benefit for me. That's beautifully yeah. spoken. That's beautifully yeah. said because mm. that is that is the crux, isn't it? It yeah. is the choice. It is the yeah. choice. And, yeah, this is. And I understand we sometimes go through through bad times and you lash out in, in frustration of your own anger and resentment. Um, but what you are talking about is not a, a frustrated scream one day. It is a persistent pattern of behavior. And I mm. think that is the key thing to realize. Yes. These yeah. are choices yeah. that the perpetrator makes on a yeah. daily basis. That is yes. so true. Mm-hmm. when you when you were finally getting ready to leave two questions come to my mind is there is there a tradition of honor killings in Burkina Faso or I mean we we certainly see in, in East Africa and in North Africa uh, there are strong strong feelings with regards to the honor being being uh, destroyed and therefore however much i need to love i love my daughter she will be killed is there yeah. such a such a such a awful awful thing happening in burkina faso not that i saw not that i saw but okay. um uh, if you want to look at it in the way of um what happened to the women afterwards the men could easily leave a woman 
they could easily leave the relationship yeah. okay and they could go on and have another relationship easily they could marry again and they there were no restraints on them but the woman they left behind was shamed was an outcast of society could not get another relationship um was often stuck with the children or lost the children because the, the children might go with the father you know that's that's another yeah so the you know there's no honor killing but it's like you're dying anyway you know because you haven't got a life um what you've done is shameful it's not you <laughs> the funny thing is you know the if the man was abusive and that's why he's leaving or he's he's flirting with someone else and that's why he's leaving um it's not what the woman's done you know, it's it's he's chosen to do that, but the woman carries the burden of shame. And that's sad. Mm. And that's uh but you don't have to go to Africa to experience that power play. No, that no, is, no. That is that is Australia, that is New yeah. Zealand, that is yeah. church going people left, yeah. right, and center. Yes, it is yeah. playing out not 20 years ago in yeah. in some godforsaken place no it's right now in your neighborhood guys okay yeah. right yeah. now maybe yeah. you can just look around i mean how many houses can you see in your neighborhood and how many apartments can you see and i'll yeah. leave the, the the guessing to you but i'm yeah. sure that whilst you're actually looking at a variety of houses you probably look at one house where family violence is a very real issue yep. right now. Yeah. Mm. My mind. The other thing we need to mention too uh, is um, I'm talking about one country in Burkina, you know, one country in, in Africa. Yeah. Um, different. There's different traditions and different cultural practices in different countries. So that does not mean that's the whole of Africa. It's certainly Correct. not. Correct. That's Thank one you. small yeah. area. Absolutely. So that's what I'm talking about, my own personal experience with that one small area of mm. Africa. Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, I don't want to offend other Africans. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a good point. That's yeah. a very good point. Yeah. Thank you very much for, um, I take that for granted, but it's good to actually spell it out. Thank yeah. you very much. Mm. When you were ready to leave, who did you approach for help? Did you approach anyone for help or did you do it all yourself? Um, really interestingly, uh, I was secretive about stuff. I had the counsellor and so I finally understood that I was going through family violence, mm. okay? Um, so I had some free counselling sessions and that was helpful. That um, helped me to start to reclaim myself, you know, mm. like... Um, uh, when you're getting ready to leave the relationship, it's overwhelming. You have so many things that you have to do, so many things, and it's overwhelming, and you can get weighed down with the overwhelm. So uh, my counsellor taught me to put one thing on my to-do list for one day, one thing, nice. and it was just nice. a really super simple thing, just something really small that I absolutely knew I could achieve, and then I put a huge tick, I mean, really a big tick right next to it every day. And I celebrated the achievement of one thing. And then I put two things on the list and three things on the list. So she helped me to start to reclaim my power and to start to feel I can get things done and I can make it through this. So that was the start. 
Um, the other thing that you need to know is that I, um, my back went bust. I hurt my back and um, my back was so bad that I couldn't even dress myself. My children had to dress me. I couldn't, uh, I could only sit for 10 minutes. I could lay down for 10 minutes. I could walk for 10 minutes, nothing else. Uh, I was in a really bad way. That was 12 months before I left. Okay. And so my job as a nurse disappeared and I had to try and find something else. So I was working three days a week in a job um, that, uh, interestingly, what I found uh, when I, I had to get a job, I had to have a secure job in order to be able to leave. So I had a back injury and I needed to find a job mm. that I could, could accommodate my physical needs in order to be able to leave. Otherwise, I couldn't leave. There was nowhere I could go or what I could do. So what I did, and I want people out there who, who don't know how they can go about leaving, what I did was I looked at my physical limitations instead of thinking, I can't do this. What I thought was, okay, these are my physical limitations. This I need to, I need a job that um, I can sit for 10 minutes, I can stand for 10 minutes, I can walk for 10 minutes. So I need something that incorporates those things. I also needed, um, I needed a, a company car, you know, because I needed to be able to get around. I handed everything over to my husband. So I needed to have transport, you know. So then it was so funny, Stefan, you'll die with that. <laughs> when I was looking for this job, I knew what I needed to have within that job, what I needed. So what I did was I looked in the newspaper for job, uh, uh, vacant jobs, and there was this thing, that's how big the ad was. Seriously, that's a, I don't even know how I saw it. And it was a job doing herring tests in heavy industry. And I sat for 10 minutes, I, I stood for 10 minutes, I walked for 10 minutes. Hearing, and I got my company car. My company car was a company truck. It was a, ten, a three ton truck, which was a mobile testing booth. And um, I thought that was really hilarious because I had my company, company car type thing. But what I found, what I found was I got what I needed because I found out that actually sitting down into a car hurt my back. Stepping up into the truck was actually better for my back. So I got everything I needed, you know. And um, so, so I secured this job and um, it was in the job that I explained what I was going through, why I had changed my job. And my boss was the best boss. And she, I said, look, I need can I get a loan of $1,000 to pay for um, the bond for the, the rental place, you know, because I need to move out what I'm going through is family violence. Um, she, she did that. She gave me the, the money that I needed and she just took it very slowly out of my salary so that I could manage that. Um, the, some of the factories that I worked at, um, they were food production People heard, she spread the news and people heard and they gave me boxes of stuff that we used when we left, you know, that kept us going for ages. Um, people provided us. We left, we left with um, two beds for three people and a computer. And that was basically it. That's what we left with. You know, I left everything at home, you know, including the car and everything like that. And um, when people heard about that, they, they provided us with furniture, you know it's only when you actually 
speak up when you actually expose what it is that you're going through and you're brave enough to expose it that people have the opportunity to help you if you keep it a secret you're cheating other people other kind and compassionate people of the opportunity to provide assistance Beautiful. you know and also to be able to experience the kindness of humanity <laughs> because what you've just come through is the opposite of the kindness of humanity. So you need to invite these experiences so that you start to recover, you know, so you start your heart starts to heal because without being able to embrace those, those things, it's very hard to heal, very hard. Hmm? The problem, of course, is that's us now talking down the line when we have yes. healed, when we yeah. have gone through the darkness and have now come into the light. But yeah. when you're at that moment, did you feel like a failure? Oh, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, uh, when you're talking about uh, a marriage and you're talking about a relationship, um, you're talking about an identity, you know? And an identity, I'm a married woman, I'm a mother, I'm, I'm this, I'm that, you know, like um, I'm a good person, you know, I can help someone to heal, all this sort of stuff. Um, so, yeah, I felt like a failure. You know, I married. There's no one who walks down the aisle and gets married and makes that commitment and says, um, I'm going to ditch this relationship in 12 months. No one. They see this is my permanent life. Mm -hmm. No one, no one thinks... Um, until I get bored, you know, <laughs> they're not making, they're not making the vows until I get bored and then I'll ditch you and run, you know, no one said that. So you do feel like a failure. You invest everything on the relationship and you do I feel do. like a failure, you know. And especially okay. when, and especially when you were uh, in living a family violence scenario, however long it lasts, because you, mm. you are always thinking about yourself, what, what was it that I've done wrong? You're, you're trying yes. to take on the burden. So it yes. is, there is the shame, there's the guilt, but there's also yep. this, this, oh, it must be me. And yep. it is such a crazy, crazy belief system that yep. drives these thoughts into our minds. Yep. But it is there. It is there and it can be so bloody powerful. No, it is, oh, God, it is, a roller coaster of emotions that you went through no doubt yeah. there will be hope and and you're you're getting these little this oh i ticked that and i've, I've laid down 20 dollars here and i've got this sorted it's great great and then yeah. there is the ongoing the ongoing uncertainty the ongoing you don't know what happens will he be in a good mood bad mood uh, when you come home so it yeah. is an absolute nightmare yeah. because previously you have been living in denial now you're yeah. living in the very present that you actually feel every single thing yeah oh this is this is harsh this there's is... also another aspect too is uh, the women um, or the victims carry a burden of blame yeah because the one of the common the commonalities, regardless of where you come from in the world, that one of the commonalities of family violence, of abusers, is displacement of blame. Mm. You made me do it. Absolutely. It's got nothing to do with me. Um, if you hadn't done this, I wouldn't have had to do that, you know, and this is the public and private place again. But um, so, of course, um, after a period of time, you are conditioned, 
you, you, you are conditioned, like if it happens often enough, you're conditioned to start to believe, oh, hang on, it must be me, you know, because he keeps blaming me, or you do it because you think that's the only thing I have control over, my behaviour. You know, so maybe if I change my behaviour, then that will help him to change, you know. And the reality is, and I'll tell you one common thing, um, one common thing uh, with perpetrators of violence is that they change their rules of engagement. This is important for your viewers to, to hear. They change their rules of engagement. So what you did to make them happy one day, oh, that worked. So I'm going to do that tomorrow. And you do it tomorrow and he's changed the rules of engagement. Huh? And he keeps on changing the rules of engagement. So you constantly off balance. You literally do not know what to do to please this person. And that's a strategy. That's a good strategy because if someone is off balance, what are they going to do? Try and stabilize themselves. They're going to focus on themselves, not on the other person who's causing the imbalance. Right? It's a very powerful tool. I want people to know that that tool exists because once you understand that, you know, I'm not going crazy. This guy is changing the rules of engagement. I'm not going mad. I'm actually okay. He's just manipulating. Does that make sense? Hell of a lot of sense. Yeah. So true. And that is that is the manipulation that that happens in such relationships, isn't it? And that is that is and unfortunately, yes, you don't see it until someone points it actually out to you, until yes. someone opens your eyes for what behavior really stands for, until you can yes. see it. And hindsight is beautiful. It's 2020. Uh, if yes. hindsight you see it, but when you're full of the adrenaline and the fear and the uncertainty yeah. and all that washing over you that's a yeah. chemical soup that blinds yeah. you and that you that literally makes you oh, i don't know just a very 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 i don't want to say dumb i don't want to use a negative word but it makes you blind literally blind to the reality that is happening yeah. and yeah. i think that's really that's maybe something that we really need to to appreciate as people on the outside who maybe touch the lives of a woman who has been in such a, a, a relationship. I've, I don't think if you have never lived in in such a constant state of of, of uncertainty, adrenaline, etc., it's very hard for you to actually appreciate what this woman is going through or has yeah. gone through in the past. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Mm. And how long it takes to heal. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Exactly mm. right. Because you're now talking in a very deeply, deeply ingrained uh, emotions, behavior, the 10 years of hopelessness and helplessness and worthlessness. Yes. It, that doesn't, you don't just go to a weekend seminar and then somehow get better and you're riding into the sunset. If you believe that, then you, you just don't need a gym membership. You just go once do the right arm and that's it that's it now now you're fit for the rest of your life i don't yeah. think so and no. <laughs> so when it comes to 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 healing after after an abusive relationship and after family violence you're talking some serious soul searching and some yeah. serious rebuilding rebuilding yeah. of your 
of a new person, but in yeah. order to 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 grow that new person, you need to actually deal with the foundations, and they are often very very rotten. The belief systems of these women, these men, yeah, that it takes a lot. It takes a lot to heal, and it is. It's not recovery. It's recovering because it's really an ongoing journey, isn't it? It is. It is. It is yeah. And it's a beautiful journey. And it, it is, is such a, a wonderful, wonderful journey you can go on. You might not see it, guys. You might not, 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 not realize it right now. But it is waiting for you. It is most certainly there is hope out there. Mm. You might not mm. see it right now. You might actually mm. be licking your wounds like a wounded animal. And mm. that's okay. That's right mm. now. That's right now the survival. That's mm. uh, There is a reason that you listen to that interview. Mm. And f- that is, in actual fact, you have already taken action. You actually found this channel. You actually found my show. And you found mm. that interview and you listened to it. Mm. That is, you have taken action. So I, I, I want to send you a huge hug out there, okay? A huge bout of energy uh, because you have, you have done it. So now maybe the next option is that you, that you seek maybe further help. And mm-hmm. help might not be f- far away. It could be a simple visit to your family doctor, your GP. And GPs see that all the time. And the only thing you need to say is, can I can I have an, an honest word? And yeah. that's all it takes. Mm. That's all it takes. And mm. you might be amazed what resources there are for you out there. You you don't know it because you have never looked for them. You don't really, you're not really sure. But the moment you open open yourself up to someone like that like a gp you you start really a a journey of recovery there it's a long journey uh, no doubt um but it is there i would like to say one thing i mean right now with covid there will be families which are pushed to the brink and maybe into deep violence i if you have got the the feeling you really need to seek help and your perpetrator, uh, your your husband, spouse, it might be a family member who is controlling you, um, basically holds you hostage. There is a thing called appendicitis. Now, appendicitis starts with you feeling sick, generally unwell, feel a bit nauseous. So you can do go to the toilet, make a few retching sounds um, and say, I'm not feeling right then give it a few hours and after a few hours what will happen is the pain will get worse and it moves sort of from the belly button and it moves towards the right lower tummy okay so the right lower tummy and that is where the appendix is and that is actually a medical emergency and the pain can be so much that it it bends you over and if you now start actually complaining more more about pain i think i think that's my appendix and actually say i you know i'm getting really sick then there is a very fair chance that you might be brought to the hospital which is how an appendicitis is being treated 
So you suddenly have got an excuse and you are now in the emergency department. And many emergency departments have got systems in place that can help you. For example, in, in, in one of the hospitals here I worked, they, they had little urine collection things. And they said, please write your name uh, on the top of the thing and just leave it here. And if you're suffering from family violence, please use the red marker and write your name on top of there. So there are actually the nurses in an emergency department are typically very cued up to that. So if you feel trapped and if you don't know how to get out, this might be just that little move that can save your life. So please think about the appendicitis, feeling yucky in the tummy and then pain going into the right lower tummy and don't take no for an answer, see the emergency department and therefore find a way out. Ah, oh, there's so much. Great advice. Thank you for that. It's great advice. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's, you need to have something, something to get out and, mm. and, that is something to keep in mind. This is something that is fake, a real medical emergency that gets you into the hand of, of safety. So mm. that's really wonderful. Mm. Diane, you did. I'm, I'm very humbled that you that you answered all these questions and some quite confronting questions. Mm. I, I, please forgive me if, if, mm. I, if I was too direct at times, but it is... We need to speak about that openly and honestly. And this is this is not a taboo. This is something that happens all around us. And we need to to open up these curtains and let sun in. And uh, only then can can we make a difference in our society. Only Absolutely. then can we heal. Can we help those who have been in trouble uh, speak up get out and start healing and it is the most beautiful journey we are all broken people we are all imperfect we are we are perfectly imperfect and that's okay you don't need to be ashamed we all have got mental health problems for crying out loud there is not anyone i work with in the hospital who has not a few screws loose or lost a few marbles okay <laughs> that is part and parcel of being being human Yes, so, yeah. so honestly, whatever you have gone through, it is, it's okay. That was the mm. past, but the past does not equal the future. You mm. can change. You can, mm. you can be that new person. You, you deserve to be, mm. but you need to take action. You can't mm. just dream and sit there and think, oh, one day, yeah, <laughs> one day will never happen. But <laughs> if you actually, like Diane, Take small steps, and I, I found that so so important that that message. Let someone help you to find your direction. Where do you need to go, and then take small, finite steps. But every day, take these steps. Don't stop. Just keep going, and you have no idea where that will lead you. Chances are into a much better world in which you are a very different person, a person who looks in the mirror and, and has a smile on his or her face. Mm. And that's, mm. that's a beautiful thing to happen. Mm. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Diane, uh, if, there's, 
if any closing remarks, any closing comments, there's, we, have, we have touched upon so many aspects of family violence and it's really, really beautiful and I'm, I'm very grateful for that. Um, the only closing comments I would make is that um, uh, to the women who are going through this, you are not alone. Mm -hmm. You may think that you are the only person who has who is experiencing this very personal attack. Um, and uh, I worked in I worked with women in a, a, a support group. Many, many women, uh, more than hundreds of women, um, who came through the support group. And the people who came into the support group at first thought that everybody else's story was not like mine. And then as they started listening, they found out there were commonalities in our stories. And um, perpetrators of violence use the same strategies. These strategies are universal. It doesn't matter where you come from in the world. Um, and they use these strategies. So you are not alone. Um, anybody out there, you are not alone. It is not just your story. It is a story that is shared by so many women. And by being able to reach out to trusted people, not everybody, to trusted individuals and speak your truth and see how they react and respond. Don't stay with someone who judges you. Move on. Find a good counsellor, someone who you relate to, but find the person who will listen to you and honour your journey and really honestly provide a form of assistance and support. But shop around. Always shop around, um, observe and see how people react and respond. But you are not alone. That's the most important message that I can give today. Yeah. Diane, if anyone says, wow, okay, this Diane woman is really quite uh, a power to be reckoned with and they <laughs> want to get in touch with you, how can they do that? I'm going to send uh, my uh, email to you and mm -hmm. uh, contact details so that they can get in touch through you. Is that okay? Absolutely. Yeah. Guys, yeah. look down there. By the time you listen to this uh, interview, uh, I've got all the details. So look down there into the description of the podcast and of the video. So you will find it there to go straight there. And whilst you're looking down there, there's that little subscribe button. Now, it, magic happens when you click on that subscribe button because <laughs> you get actually notified of all the fantastic people that I've lined up uh, in this show. And it is, uh, rest assured, as I will not go away in a hurry. And I, I thrive by connecting to such wonderful people like Diane tonight. This is, this is an eye-opener for me. It's humbling. It's, it's, it's an hour of therapy for me as well. As so I'm, I'm, I'm a happy bunny here. So we will continue. I will bring on some amazing guests. And if you press the subscribe button, then, hey, pronto, you actually know who is coming onto the show and what is just being published out there. So, but coming back to Diane, thank you so much. I'm so grateful that you came onto my show. This was a beautiful, beautiful experience. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity because, as you said, this message, uh, this topic needs discussing and we need to discuss it openly and honestly. So having the opportunity to do that and to share my story has, yeah, I'm really honoured by that opportunity. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Absolute pleasure. Mm -hmm. And you guys out there, look after yourself. Make mm -hmm. this, this world a little bit better and address one little thing, one little thing, one little baby step in the right direction. Look after yourself. Bye. Thank you. Thank you. Bye.